Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. I'm Todd. <laughs> hey, that'll work. Good. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Todd Rose. I've been, I grew up here in Westerville, went to a good old Huber Ridge Elementary and even graduated from Otterbein, now university. Hey, um, I know there's at least one of you here. Uh, moved to Russia in 1997, so in May this year, it'll be 25 years that I've been there. Uh, my Russian friends are telling me, Todd, think about it. Um, in two years, you will spend more of your life in Russia than you, than you spent in, in America. So that officially will make you more Russian than American. Right? Man. So November, um, in November, a few months ago, I was sitting in my office in Saratov, Russia, 500 miles south of Moscow, and uh, just read through a scripture that we're going to look at today, Acts chapter 20, if you want to turn to that. And uh, I, I was uh, just reading, I've read it a hundred times. And as I was reading it and looking through it, just a thought hit me, is that this is what I want you to preach in, in at Quest the next time you're there. This, and that rarely happens to me, and it's like, but that was the word. It was like, this is what I want you to share when you're at Quest next time. And when it happened, I had no idea when I was going to be here next. I had no idea. So to be here right now at this time and then take a look at the words that are written here, I just think that uh, God is... God is sovereign, praise God. And in, in fact, the words that are written there impact me and help me make my decision of what to do. Do we bring the family here? Do we go back there? And, and we'll take a look at that here in a minute. But as I was reading the words, and maybe we can look at it ourselves, Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison hardships are facing me. However, I consider myself worth nothing to me. Only, uh, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task. The Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. Hallelujah. There's a, a few words that jumped out to me as I was reading it. And, and I, one, of them, uh, the, one of them is like called and compelled. Called and compelled. That word compelled to me jumps out. It's like, uh, and I'll give you a brief history. Many of you know it. Paul, he's the, the, the murderer of Christians and the persecutor. And, and then he gets radically saved. And, and he's going around and starting churches. And for a missionary, he's your hero, right? And, and, and the, but there's a moment here when, at, at the, when he started a lot of churches and put, put elders in place and, and, and worked through a few issues in the church. And he gets to the point where he says, there's one thing left that I have to do. I'm compelled to do this one thing. I just, and I we, we do this in our churches back in Russia, but say, so say to your neighbor, compelled. Like nobody did that. Right. So look to your neighbor and say compelled. Man, it's like the name tags here at the church. It's a new thing. I'm the only one not wearing them. So Paul, Paul's like, Paul says to his friends, Paul says to the people he works with, he says, I'm compelled. There's this thing that's burning on me. I can't stop it. And this, as I see it, there isn't a moment where, like he had with, uh, like when he had with the, the dream where, where he was trying to go into Asia and preach the gospel and the Holy Spirit stopped him. And then he was trying to go into Turkey where I'm going to assume be. And, and, and the Holy Spirit stopped him. And then he had a dream. And, and they said, come to Europe, come to Troas and, and help us. 
and he gets together with, with his team and the whole team says, yeah, this is from the Holy Spirit. We got to go. This, it doesn't seem to me that this was a situation like that. Here it looks like Paul just has a burning desire in his heart. There's this thing that he knows that he has to do. And in fact, it's, it's not just like I have to do it. I, it's like I got to do this. There's nothing that's stopping me. I just, I, I, got, a, I got a call from God. I didn't, I didn't have a dream. I got this burning desire. I, I have to do this. It's not just that I, I want to do it. I have to do it and I can't not do it. I'm compelled to go to Jerusalem. I got to go to Jerusalem. I got to go there. And I think Paul's thinking, you know, Peter's a fisherman and all those other guys, they're different things. But the people in Jerusalem, the Pharisees and the, and the wise and the leaders, I know these guys. I mean, that's, that's my addition to the, to the Bible there. It's like, I know these guys. I, I got to do this. I know how to t- speak into their lives. I was one of them. I studied with them. I, knew, I know how they think. I need to be the one. I got to go there. He was compelled. He couldn't think of anything else. And, and frankly, nothing was going to stop him. I think, I think he's still in the spirit is pushing him on to do this. And, it, and if he wouldn't do it, it'd almost be as if he'd be unobedient, even though he didn't have a word from God to do it. I must go to Jerusalem, and then I got to go on to Rome. Paul was overwhelmed with, with his obligation. He's, he's compelled to do something. It reminds me kind of, of like Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Nehemiah comes, he gets a report from his relative and he says, tell me about Jerusalem, tell me about Israel. And probably, maybe, possibly, Nehemiah has never been there before. And he's, a, and he's in a position of authority and he hears about how bad the place is, how bad the situation is. And he just falls down broken. I don't think he got a word from God. I don't think, as, as I read it, you go back and look at it this week. Take a look at it yourselves. Nehemiah. In Acts 20 to 23, you'll see it, that he's just broken. He's just, let's say that word again, he's just compelled. There's something inside of him that's just driven him. And he sits, he gets down, he can't eat, he can't sleep, he can't think about anything else. And he just says, I got to do something. I've got to do something. And as I read Nehemiah, he gets to, he gets to the town. And I'm not completely even sure. That's just my interpretation. Again, that's your homework. I work with students, medical students in Russia. So I have at 10 o'clock in the morning, I have a, a Russian service. And at 1 o'clock, we have, at 12 o'clock, we have prayer for everybody. And then at 1 o'clock, we have an, uh, an international service, mostly for future doctors from Africa and India. So we, I get homework every week, so just be ready. So read Nehemiah. Read Acts 20 to 23, and you'll see that I'm not even sure that Nehemiah exactly knew what the project was that he was going to do. Did he know when he was leaving he was going to build, build the walls? Or did he know when he got there that that's what he was going to do? Or did he know after three days of traveling around, ah, this is what God is calling me to do. But all I know is this. He was compelled to do something. He had to do something. And he gave up his position. He gave up his, his wallet, sort of. He gave up the, the, his title, because he was compelled. Now, you hear me hitting this idea an awful lot. And that's what I'm trying to get across to you today. If the Holy Spirit could do anything through me today, I would get this across to you and say, what are you compelled to do? Amen? What are you compelled to do for, for God's glory? And I'm going I'm to make a statement. I just really do believe that I'm talking to those that, are, that Jesus is on the throne of your life. Jesus is not just a part of your life. 
He is your life. He's your pearl of great price. You understand that he, 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 you, were, you, were, you were far from God. You were far, you were, you were, because of your sin, you were separated from God. And you were going to hell. And it was Jesus that redeemed you. His blood on the cross and his death for you. And, you were, and you're now, like Ephesians 1 said, you're now chosen by him. You're now saved by him. You're now loved by him. He puts the Holy Spirit as a deposit in you. And you're, you're now a child of God. One person is from Saratov. They said, amen. Amen. <laughs> if that's you, I believe with all my heart that, that there's, there's a compulsion on you. If you, are, if you understand that what Jesus has done in your life for you, and not just for this life, but for the one to come, there's a, there's a, there, there's a compulsion inside of you to say, Jesus, what can I do? What can I do to love you, to love others, to help the helpless, and to bring you glory? What is that compulsion? Nehemiah sees rocks. He says, I've got to build this wall. They've been, they've been laying for a hundred and some years. I've got to do something. I'm compelled. Paul says, I'm compelled to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to make his grace known to the world. And then I'm going to go on to Rome. And I've got to do this. Nothing can stop me. I just, many of you know, 25 years ago, I wanted to, I just, there was a, a compulsion inside of me to, to go to Russia. I didn't, didn't, it wasn't something I chose on my own, to be honest. I just knew that this is what I had to do. In fact, I came home for, uh, after about a year and a half of being there and, and, and for a while, I, I, I couldn't go back to Russia, and that's all I thought about. It's all I dreamt about. I couldn't, it's all, it was the only thing that was on my mind. It was almost like a, a mania uh, for me. I, just, I was just focused on, I got to preach the gospel there. We got to start churches there. We got to train missionaries there. We got to do, I had no idea that we we're going to do autism later on. I just, I just overwhelmed with it. I couldn't almost not do it. What compels you? I believe with all my heart that it's normal Christianity, not Paul and Nehemiah Christianity, but normal Christianity for each and every one of us to love Jesus. He's on the throne of our heart. Then there's, it's almost an automatic result in, out of our relationship with him that there's a compulsion inside of us that what can I do for you, Jesus, to love you, to love, to love my neighbor, to love the people in my church, to love the people that are so helpless around me. Paul says... I'm compelled. I'm compelled. Some time ago, I remember sitting with Ross a couple, couple years ago, and I came to him, and my heart, he doesn't know this, so it'll be a new for him too, but my heart is pounding because I flew in. And, and by the way, uh, just so you know, uh, if you want to know that something a major is about to take place in the world, watch from my travel schedule. No doubt, no doubt. Two years I flew in and coronavirus kicked off, right? <laughs> and I, I couldn't get it. I, I was like, everybody was panicking for me. Are you going to be able to get back? Are you going to be gonna back? And, uh, yeah, we got our flights and I flew back. A year ago, I came back and we raised a lot of money for an autism center, right? That changed the world, right? And then, and now, amen, amen. <laughs> right? And now we fly in and, I mean, there's talks of wars and rumors of wars and atomic wars and... And Putin's and what I'm going to get in trouble for saying that. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. 
right? So if you, if you wonder if something's going to go on in the world, just wait for the next time I come back home. We'll figure that out. I, and in fact, I don't know when that will be. Amen? But it's like I go to Ross two years ago, and he, said, uh, he says, uh, hey, I can only meet with you next week. Uh, i got a lot going on. We're going downtown. I'm like, you have to meet with me tomorrow. You have to before you go. And he said, okay, okay. And I get with him, and I said, I have this idea. I have this compulsion. And there's this thing inside of me that's like, it's not for me. It's from him. I know it is. And, and so I want you listening to me and, and tell me if I'm crazy or, or, or because I just know I can't do it without you. And he's like, all right, you got my attention. Let's go. We're sitting and having coffee together. And I said, I see this autism center. Uh, we've just been doing so much work in that, the area of autism in Saratov. And it's, it's growing. And it just, we're, the, we're at a point where it's just there's a building that's available. And it's not very expensive. But, but are you ready? It's a big number. Are you ready? And he looks at me. And I'm like, it's 150 grand. And, uh, and he's like, is that all? And I was like, oh, man, oh, my, my heart started back. It got back down about 80 beats a minute after it was at 150. And, and, he's, and at the end of our conversation, he's like, are you telling me that we can bless the, the Russian church and we can bless the international service that you do and we can, we can help the neediest in society and it's only going to cost $150,000? I'm in. Bless you. And it turns out it was only 120, so it's a good deal. <laughs> right on. But it's a, a compulsion. It's like, it's just burning inside of you. It's like, you knew that this is what you, you have to do. And Friday, six people finished in our, in our center now. Six people went through training. We have an incredible lady that showed up out of nowhere to, to, to head up the all the training for you know, people that are going to be working, technicians are going to be work, working one-on-one with the kids. We had one that finished in December, five more that just finished on Friday, and another group going through. And it's amazing. I watched, um, I watched this incredible lady that's working with kids. It just obviously God just brought her in from according to his plan. And, and she's work, there's a kid, I'll t- quickly tell you that story, a boy, 12 years old. I walk in, and the mom and dad, the dad has a black eye, a, a broken lip, and, and the mom's beat up too. And I talked to, the, talked to our specialist afterwards, and I said, her name's Yulia, and I said, what happened? And she said, they have no idea what to do, no idea. He's very aggressive, but he doesn't get his own way, and just lets him have it. And the parents don't know what to do, and they just kind of sit back, and they feel bad for the kid, I get it, and, and, but, but they just kind of lock themselves in a room and let him, and, and, but it, he gives it to them. He's 12, and he's in our, our center, and he sees me, and he's like, hi. And hi. And but you can tell there's there's a violent streak. And she works with him the next day and I see him a couple weeks later and I see that I see that dad has a lot less markings on his face. Mom is smiling for the first time. A month later you see him walk in holding hands and, and now that our specialist is she, she's smiling and she said, Yeah, it's working in their family. It's working in their family. Praise God. We, um, we did something at Christmas. I know you guys showed some of the pictures, but we did a, I stole from a church in, in Columbus an idea that they had, like we did a, a gingerbread cookie day. And uh, so we took, we had a bunch, we had one of our many office rooms that we have. We took, um, we took uh, probably t- 
we had 10 people at a time almost every night in December where we were making cookies. And, and uh, what we, uh, the kids would come in. Sometimes they're autistic. Sometimes it was just kids from the, from, the, from the area with their parents. They'd make cookies. And then when we put them in the, put them in the oven, we have, would have 20 minutes where we could take them to another room and show them a video of what is the real meaning of Christmas. And everybody, every parent is asking us, who are you? Who, who are you guys that are just doing this for, for free? And what is this, what is this place going to be in the future? Everybody asks us, and it's my favorite question in the world, because we get to blend the two worlds at once. And we say, you know what? You know I'm a pastor, and this is our church building right here that you're sitting in right now. We just love Jesus, and my family is affected by this, and we feel uniquely, uniquely called to do something to help, help them. And at the same time, you know what? If, if we just want to be the hands and feet of Jesus and just say, you know, our church, we're going to love God, we're going to love people, and we're going to help the helpless and we're going to do anything we can to help you. And we just, we're glad to open our doors and help you. And one lady says, hey, I can paint. Um, I can put up wallpaper. Is there anything I can do to volunteer at this place? Because I just, this is incredible. Amen. I'll tell you a story. It's like, well, the, the, the building we have that you all helped us purchase, it's great. And we really didn't have, didn't have a whole lot of repairs that we need to do in it. And, um, but a guy from, from, a family from the U.S. called me and said, we really want the place to be incredible when those kids come in. And so what would it take to really make it look incredible? And I said, you know, that's really not us. We're not trying to make it like incredible when, you know, that, that fancy when it comes in. We really want just the presence of God and we want it to be nice but not gaudy nice. And he's like, well, make it as close, make it more than gaudy. Uh, not, don't let it be gaudy, but make it more than nice. But find that balance and we want to help. And he's like, how much would it cost? I said, ah, it's Russia. It's like, you know, I think if we went crazy, it'd be $5,000. Now that's a lot lower. Uh, the dollar has gone up a lot. And he's, and he's like, right. and he gets back with his wife, and he, he said, we want to give 10. Just make it happen, right? And I'm like, I just look back, and I smile. And I say, thank you, Lord, right? And we start doing all the repairs. We get, get a designer to come in. We got 3D uh, panels going up and lights going up, and and, and so then, and then a guy comes in from Russia, uh, and he says, I heard you're doing repairs at the building. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to send in my crew. I want to do, I want, I'll, I'll pay for the crew. You pay for the materials. And so now we're having a hard, the hardest problem we have right now is how to spend the $10,000. <laughs> Maybe you got some ideas. We'll find it. I think that's a hard problem to, to live with. It's easier than how to make... Baker Mayfield go away in Cleveland. That's a harder problem. I'm sorry. I had to say it. I had to. I like the guy. No, I'm sorry. Compelled. Compelled. I just think perhaps what's one of the most important words right now for, for Christians, for us, for believers, for those that have Jesus on the throne of their lives what am I compelled to do? What is it, what's the compulsion that I have for God to do something, to love him, love others, help my church, and help the helpless? Amen. I, I just, uh, the second word that jumps out to me here kind of explains why sometimes the compulsions get put on the back burner, and that is hardships. Hardships. And in fact, I think the two greatest things that keep people from acting out their compulsions of the, is what Paul says here. He says, 
he says, and I'm compelled by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what's going to happen to me there. I, I, I don't know really what's going to happen. The only thing I do know is that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Right? This is not a prophetic message. That prison and hardships are not waiting me. All right? <laughs> Amen. But Paul says there are two things, and I look at at it for me and for the Christian life. I think there are two things that keep us from moving in our compulsions or even allowing God to lay that seed of what it is that we're supposed to, what we can do right now. So we're acting out in our, our, uh, the thing that compels us. It's the things that we don't know and the things that we do know. The things that we don't know. My wife, bless her heart, she's back in Russia with my two little ones. And, and, and she's one of those that, and, and, and thankfully it works perfectly in our family. It's like she's not moving until she has the answer to every question that could, be, that could come out in that situation. All right? And that's good because I'm ready to plow the snow to the next city and, and then I'll think about what I'm doing. All right? And so she's not moving until she has the answer. How much is it going to cost? Who are the people? How are we going to do it? Who's going to do it? How long is it going to take? What's going to happen to our dogs? And, you know, my daughter laughs because she knows that's the most important question. Right? And I think sometimes it's what we don't know that prevents us from working our compulsion more than what we do know. Because I think sometimes the enemy is, is great at filling in the gaps. And explaining to you, oh, you're going to be like grasshoppers in the eyes of those kings, of those giants that you're going to face. If you remain in that area of what don't I know, uh, what could happen, I don't have the answers. If you remain there much longer, your compulsion is probably not going to happen. Because he's going to fill, excuse me, he's going to fill in the blanks. And pretty soon your fears are going to override the compulsion that you have. But Paul has two things. He says, I, the things that I don't know are bad enough, but the things that I do know, man, there's prison, there's beatings, there's challenges, there's bloodshed. He doesn't know it yet, but we knew there's shipwrecks and snake bites and, and you know, he's going to be left for dead. He has no idea. The things he didn't know, were, they were brutal. He had a sense they were coming. And here's the thing that perhaps scares me most of all in my fathering, in my, in my pastoring. It's like, I'm going to make a statement that seems to go against the way the world, especially I think where the way the younger world operates today. In order to do, to do something meaningful for God, in order to make a difference, in order to live a life of significance for God, it almost certainly requires some of the hardest words in the English language. Hard work, sacrifice, dedication, perseverance, and overcoming hardship. Amen? I truly word that there's a, a youth movement. I know it's in Russia and not here, right? But this says that anything that requires a, even a great amount of sweat... It's painful or challenging. It's like, get behind me, Satan. This can't be of God. The greatest, sometimes the greatest indicator of whether or not something is from God is not the absence of difficulty, but the presence of them. Anymore, I, I just, I'm sure, I'm convinced that, that, that the, it's when everything else is going smoothly that you realize that you're probably not on the path of God. 
Maybe that's just my life. I just, uh, my kids, they're sitting here, and so I apologize to them ahead of time. I love them. But, so in Russia, you have what's, what's called a dacha. Ever heard of that word? It's a dacha I'm teaching in Russia now. And so it's a summer like garden house. And back in the day, that was super important. And that day has now come again for many Russians. And we'll talk about that tonight. But everybody had like a little garden. And so, uh, it, so probably half hour, an hour outside of town, a little plot of ground, maybe a quarter of an acre. You put a little shack on it. Some people put these, I use that word again, gaudy houses on them now. And, and, but most people had a shack. Right? And you just, that's what you do. That's high entertainment in Russia for many years. It's like on Friday, you go and plant potatoes and, and tomatoes. And, and they, when I first moved over to Russia, everybody tricked me and said, Oh, we're going to have a blast. Why don't you come to my dacha this weekend? Come on, we're going to rest and relax and have a lot of fun. And it's just like, that's not my idea of fun. <laughs> but I figured that out after I got invited. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And it's like, man, plant, plant it. I didn't know. Can I be honest? Listen, listen, listen. I grew up in Westerville. Before I moved to Russia... I thought potatoes grew on a bush. I didn't, I mean, that is a true story. I, that is a true story. Scott Marrier, forgive me. I, did, I really, I didn't know that you, know, you put a potato on the ground and what is it, 90 days later it became three or four or five potatoes. I didn't know that, right? Now I do, right? And, and I know how red my back gets in order to make that process happen. And I don't know which one's easier, the planting part or the pulling them out part at the end. It's like, I hate either one, right? <laughs> And so do you, because you haven't done that in a long time either, right? But so we, so a couple of years ago when coronavirus hit, and it's like you couldn't go outside the house, and most Russians live in apartment buildings anyway. We live in a house, and, and so we have our little, small little plot of ground that at least we can go outside. In fact, our daughter had her wedding in the backyard, and, and, and so uh, we could go outside, and the people in the town couldn't. They had to, it was like you couldn't. Couldn't go just for a walk unless you had a dog. So people are calling us up and saying, that, hey, can we borrow one of your dogs to, to go for a walk? Sure. So, so we decided, you know what, we're going to buy a dacha and, and outside of town. And that will be a place where we can just go and get away from all this. So we bought a little plot of land. And the kids were excited. They're like, this is great. We're going to have a dacha and we're going to have our own fresh food and all that. And until we had to dig a hole. <laughs> just one. It was enough. Artois, I'm sorry, I love you, buddy, I do. It's like, but it's like, I mean, the first time that I, my two boys like dug a hole, it was it's just the funniest thing in the world to watch. I mean, do, can we just do a, a little survey here? Who here in the last five years has planted a, a, a tree? Raise your hand for me. I mean, you're doing, well, I'm telling you what, when I did this in my international service with the, with the students, I like two or three out of 100 raised their hand. They'd never planted a tree before, right? And in fact, when I, some of them said, hey, can we help you at the dacha? And we went in one time and we were like digging a hole. They're like, you know what? You know, buying apples at the store got a lot more pleasant right now. <laughs> and it was like, it's just like, it's not even a meter down. And so anyway, it's like we go to the dacha. Now when we tell the kids, hey, we're going to the dacha. I mean, I wish you could just see the look on their faces. It's like at first it was like, ah. And now it's like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> Help me, Lord. It's work. It's hard work. It's sweaty, it's dirty, it's messy, it's, it's not pleasant. Before we did a single thing, before we planted a single seed, before we even got close to having a single apricot off of one of, the, on one of the trees, we had to cut down, dig out, and burn 500 wild trees that were growing. And that's not to mention the weeds that were everywhere. Why is it that the only thing that grows without work are weeds? I 
I just worry about. I read a, read a story. I read a, a comment that said that somebody said the generation that has grown up today, that grew up with having a telephone in their hand and a tablet in both hands and reading and, and the dopamine fixture on their head all the time, have no concept of hard work and 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 pushing through hardship. No concept. I think that hard work, dedication, perseverance, sacrifice, enduring hardship, that's us. A friend of mine, um, his name is Jania. He's a, he was a pastor with me. Ross knows him. Uh, Scott knows him. Uh, for, for many years, he has ALS, and he's in California now. And when he immigrated to the U.S. Uh, three years ago, he started getting twitching in his arm. And he thought it was just from the, from the move. And uh, he confirmed that it wasn't, right? And, and so he, and, uh, something amazing in, in him is that he was known all throughout Russia as being like the social media pastor. And he, I mean, he had, when it, but social media really hit Russia, and he was able to capitalize on that at the very beginning. He created a few groups. One group that he created on social media was called um, A Happy Family is Possible. Twelve million people were on that group. 12 million. The impact that he had in Russia uh, was amazing. And it went well beyond just the, the Christian population. Everybody knew, knew, knew Jania for his social media work. And then he got sick. And he started documenting what God, how God was using him and what was happening to him through the whole process. To the point now that I was with him last week and it's brutal. I mean, he's at the very end stage. And to tell you the truth... He and I and everybody associated with it learned a lot about it, about the mentality of the, of the church in Russia through it all. Because the things that were written about him were just amazing. You got to understand that like in Russia, the, the idea of like him being sick alone is like there's something wrong with your Christian faith. There's something wrong with you, Eugenia. There must, obviously, you have sin in your life. Obviously, you have some secret sin that you're not repenting of. You've done something right, in order for God to curse you like this. So, so if you can figure that out, repent, get right with God, and then you'll be healed. And I just, I look at his life. I look at his faith. Just the things that people wrote online, you can see that to millions of people, his hardship that he is pushing through. And I'll just hope that the tomorrow, even right now, he's in California right now, he, it's 7.15 in the morning, he'll wake up healed, I believe. I mean, let's, that'd be amazing. But the impact that he's now having, the change of mentality that he's having on millions of people, as he, as he writes on a, a post that takes him two days to post it, he's writing with his left eye to, on the screen to say, I'm praying for a healing, but if, he doesn't, if it doesn't come, I love my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If my healing comes when I take my last breath, I will say that I love him, I love him, I love him. Father, heal him, Lord. Hardships. I truly believe that many are detoured from serving God based upon the difficulties that they, will, they could face or that they actually do face. Don't let hardships detour your direction. Let them convince you that you're on the right road. What are you compelled to do for God if it doesn't keep you up at night? If it doesn't cause you sleepless nights? If it doesn't cause you to 
to plan and to strategize and, and to fixate, if it doesn't cause you to, to work hard, if it doesn't cause you to, to, break, to, to fix areas in your character that for years need to be fixed, if it doesn't cause you sweat and tears, it's probably not from him. What are you compelled to do? If there isn't something, if there isn't something that you're compelled to do, I, I really do believe that it's time to repent. I do really do believe it's time to say, maybe I've lost my focus. In Russia, we would say that the purpose of, of your life can't be like to, to, to go through and get a good education, to quickly get married after school, have 1.2 kids, because we don't have big families in Russia, only mine. And, and, and we have five kids, and we're, we're the crazy ones, but... And, and then uh, get a good job and, and, and have a, a big apartment or a house and, and put a pool out back and, and, then, and then the husband and wife die on the same day and leave a big inheritance to their kids. Church. If we're more concerned about our, our 401k than we are a 701k, it's time to repent. It's time to have a compulsion from God just to say, Jesus, what is it that I'm called to do? What is it that, I, that, I'm, that I'm compelled to do to bring you glory, to honor you, and to bring as many people with me into your kingdom as possible? I just think it's time for us to pray and say, oh God, give us souls. Give us souls of the people in my office, the people, my neighbors, my family members. Oh God, what is the ministry that this church needs right now that I can that I can play a, play a part of? Oh God, how can I train these these to be to be leaders in this church? How can I? How, what, what is it, God? How can I lead these kids? God, what is it? What compels you? Compelling hardship. I think today it's the easiest day in the world to be in a significant, impactful, light-sharing Christian. All you got to do is open your eyes and look around at the, at the need around us. Huh. I do a Facebook Live on occasion, and uh, I've been overwhelmed with the response. But one, night, one day I asked a question that I should have known the answer. It's like, I, was like, I just said, hey, just a quick thought. Anybody here online right now, what do you think? Should I go back to Russia or should I bring my family over here? Overwhelmingly, everybody's like, are you, are you blind? I mean, do you read the news? Do you listen to it? And my answer is no. I mean, because I know there's propaganda on that side and there's propaganda on this side. And we were just watching a story uh, t- uh, this morning that said they showed a picture of all the Russian stores that all their shelves are empty. And I know that's not true. There's no sugar. Right? We know that. Because every grandma in the world went out and bought sugar. Right? And for some reason, there's no feminine products. I don't understand that. In, in America, we buy toilet paper. In Russia, they go a different direction. God bless them, right? And so I think I know how I'm going to fund my ministry. Is like I'm going to buy a big box of that stuff and bring it back. And I'm not doing that, don't worry. <laughs> See? But everybody says, of course, bring your family back here. Why would you want to face that hardship? And again, I come back to you and say, November, sit in my office. God says, share this. And, and there was a moment where it was really bad. I was in Sacramento. There's 350,000 immigrants from Russia and the Ukraine that are there. And every one of them, I'm, I'm at their churches, and every one of them, they're saying, get back here. 
Oh my gosh, it's North Korea. It's coming. You got to get back here. Bring your family. Stay here. Come on, save your life. And, I, and there was a moment where like, what am I supposed to do? And I read and prepare for us all today. And it's like, yeah, there will be hardships. But who's to say that this isn't our time? Maybe, and I don't have to say maybe, I know that the most powerful times for the church in that part of the world or any part of the world or in any decade or in any century are always when there's chaos outside. It's the best time. It may not be the easiest time, but it's certainly the best time. The openness to the gospel, the the ability to to meet a a, a physical need, a a material need, and be able to really come in and and then share the gospel in a meaningful way. This is our time. I say it again one more time. Sometimes, and most often, the absence of hardships is a sign that something's off. The, the presence of hardships tells you, go for it. I just think time is short. It's the hardship that caused Paul's ministry to be so, so successful. It's the hardship. I mean, he gets to Jerusalem. He gets his dream. He's like, all the people around him are just like all my friends on Facebook. All the people around him, they're crying. Oh, Paul, you you don't know what... I can't do that voice. So, um, oh, Paul, I can do that one. Oh, Paul, what are you going to do? And and he's like, everywhere I I go. And in fact, if you look, he's like, he didn't even go into some cities because he didn't want to... The crying, the tears, he's like, I'm just going to go around there and where they call for some of them because he knows what they're going to say. Stay here. The last thing that needs to be said. Don't go to Jerusalem. It's the very thing that needs to happen. So he goes to Jerusalem. He's there a week and it starts. And because of the hardship, because of the persecution, because of the suffering, some of the greatest words are in Acts chapter 23. The whole city was aroused. The whole city was in an uproar. Now instead of just a couple people, it's everybody. And everybody comes to listen to what this man has to say. And he tells his story and he says, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Savior. He died on the cross. You put him there. He died on the cross for your sins. And he revealed himself to me. I used to be a persecutor and I used to be a a skeptic and a a denier. And now I'm trying to be his greatest servant and you can be that too. And the whole city hears the message. Hallelujah. They put him in jail. No promise of an easy life. They put him in jail. And, 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 and Jesus, and God comes to him in his cell. And he says some of the most important words. He says, well done. You must go on to Rome. You must go on to Rome. And Paul's, the whole, his whole compulsion, everything that compelled him, he knows now, yeah, I was right. I was doing what the, the, the will of the Lord. I'm doing it. And God says, you must. Friends, what's your must? What is it inside of you that you, you must do? What's your compulsion? Hardships. And last is completion. 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 Don't focus on the unknown. Don't focus on the known hardships. Be compelled on completing the task. I was listening to a story about a billionaire 
the worship team's coming up. That's my sign. Yeah. I was waiting for it. Uh, I was, because in, in like 35 minutes in, in, in Russia, we're just getting started, right? And so, and that's no joke. Um, I was listening to a story about a billionaire, and he had died, and they pulled his kids together, and they were doing an interview, and they said, what's the, what's the most Im- profound, impactful thing that your, your, your dad taught you? And, and, the, and the daughter said, oh, that's easy. He would come to us every day and ask us, what did you fail at today? What did you fail at today? And at first it drove us crazy, but he asked us that every day. And, and she's like, I remember one time I went and I tried out a new sport and I was terrible about it. There were 20 people chosen. I was number 20. I embarrassed myself. I hated it. I got picked last. It was embarrassing. I couldn't stop thinking about what everybody thought of me. And, and, but, and, but, and I was terrible at it. And my dad said, great job. Great job. Do it again tomorrow. And then when the son comes and he says, I did this, I raised my hand, I didn't know the answer to the question, but I tried it, and my, my teacher pulled me up to, the, t- uh, to the, the, the board, and I messed it all up, and people were laughing, and my dad said, great job. And she said, we made a deal that he wouldn't invest into my company. I did it from the start, and my company's worth $100 million because I learned to never be afraid of failing. In fact, what he taught us is that the worst failure in the world is to be afraid of failing and do nothing, to do nothing. Church? I just, the generation has grown up. I think we've got to teach our kids. I think we've got to teach our church that, that the values of hard work and perseverance and, and battling through hardships, that's just a part and parcel piece of Christianity. They're their symptoms, their, their blessings their, uh, of, of a relationship with God, of, a, of the attack of the enemy trying to stop us from not doing anything. But if yet we stop and we, and we live out our lives and, and are not compelled by anything and just live out a simple, comfortable, easy Christian life, I think, I think, we, I think we miss perhaps what's most important. I read a, again, the story says, our kids of today want Elon Musk's money without working to get it. Right? And I, I read about Elon Musk. He was, like my, he was, he was compelled. Right? And for, for, for something that is going to burn away and be gone and will never be remembered. And we're talking about spiritual things that will never decay. That will never turn away. That will, in a million years, they're still shining like the gold that you're wearing right now. Elon Musk, he's like, I can't think about anything but programming, about coding. He's like, there was a time where he was poor, and he, they didn't have enough money for an office and, a, and an apartment together. So they just got an office, and they lived in the office together. And, said, and they said, did you ever have a girlfriend? He started laughing. He's like, nah, I'm coding. Right? Jack Maul, a billionaire on, on that side of the ocean. They asked him, if you could say, if you could, if you could teach anybody anything, what would you teach him? He said, I'll teach him this. Today is, is hard. Tomorrow will be much, much harder. And he says it with a Chinese accent, so it's cool. And he, he, today is hard. Tomorrow will be much, much harder. The, the third day, it'll be impossible. But the fourth day will be beautiful. Most people die on the second day. His word's not mine. He's like, the truth is, most people will die. Most people give up and then die a slow death on the second day. Church, 
by the Spirit of God, I say this. What are you compelled to do? Don't look at the unknown. Don't even look at the known problems that, and the known struggles, the, the sweat and the tears that it's going to take in order to put it into place. Focus on completing the task and hearing the words at the end, great job. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Let me pray for you. Father, we worship you. We love you, most high God. You are the only name in heaven, Jesus, that gives salvation. We know that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you alone, Jesus, are King of kings and Lord of lords. Your name is the only name that gives salvation. And we worship you and we honor you. And we put you more now on the throne of our lives than ever before. You are the great I am that spoke this world into existence. And we want to bring you glory. The purpose of our lives, Jesus, is, is I pray that the purpose of our lives, Jesus, is to bring you glory, to honor you, to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to help other people to know you, Jesus. Father, I pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that that compulsions that were in our hearts that came from you, that have died off because of hardships, that died off because of the opinions of other people, died off because of the amount of hard work that is that's needed to make it happen. Father, I pray, re- revive them again. Renew them again. Restore them, Father, right now in the hearts and minds of your children, Father. Right now for your glory. God, that ministries would be created. Souls would be saved. Churches will be planted. People in need will be helped. Veterans that, veterans that will be blessed through it. And Father, what Holy Spirit, move amongst us right now in a supernatural way to show us what it is that we must be compelled with. In Jesus' name, don't let us live a life without a compulsion to do something for you. You created us, you saved us, you know us, you gifted us. Put us into action. Show us the things that we, we, we not just can do, that we must do for you to bring you glory in these times that are so challenging right now. In Jesus' name. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.